Spring is in full swing and summer is just around the corner. A great time for a beach getaway at the Oceanfront Boardwalk Plaza Hotel in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Enjoy the best of oceanfront accommodations and amazing dining right on the beach, both with great views of the ocean and boardwalk. Enjoy a soak in the heated indoor spa pool or book the adults-only concierge level and relax in the rooftop hot tubs. Book online at boardwalkplaza.com or call 800-33 beach thanks to the boardwalk plaza for being the bridge podcast network sponsor some of my favorite conversations have happened over the rims of mugs i'm denise harper co-host of the morning show with bill and denise and program director for the bridge there's something special about sitting across the table from a friend whether we've known them forever or for just a minute with a good cup of coffee and an open heart and hopefully today's conversation will inspire and encourage you One day I walked into my office and I was opening my mail and there was a book in a package that I hadn't ordered. I opened it up and I looked and I saw this book was called Better Than Okay by a lady named Brandy Wilson. And it said, Finding Hope and Healing After Your Marriage Ends. And I opened it up to just, I thought, well, I'll read a couple of pages and see. And I honestly could not put the book down. I was just uh, gripped right from the very beginning as I started reading Brandy's story, and my heart immediately thought, there are probably so many uh, who are struggling and going through similar situations, and so I have the privilege to talk with Brandy Wilson today, and Brandy, I just want to welcome you to Over the Rims of Mugs podcast. Thank you for taking some time to, to share part of your story with me today. Thank you, Denise. I'm super honored. I wish I was sitting across from you with a <laughs> cup of coffee, looking over the rim. To yes, have this conversation. Yes, that me would too. Be delightful, but <laughs> happy, happy, happy. We get to spend some time chatting about this. So I, um, I was taken right away by a couple of paragraphs at the beginning of your book, um, and. Mm-hmm. I thought I would kind of start it with start our time with this, if you don't mind me sharing part of your story. Of course. <laughs> okay. Yeah, go uh, for it. That would be great. You wrote, if if we could if we could, I'd sit across from you at a quaint little coffee shop in my hometown and listen to you share your disappointment, hurt, fear, and anger. The opportunity to sit across from you and say, Me too would be a gift to hold space for you to share how you arrived at this undesirable title of divorced. Since we probably won't get that opportunity, I'm going to do my best to pour my me too into the words on the following pages to create a book that doesn't give a cookie cutter formula for moving forward. But the story you get to create by taking your best next step. While I might not know you, my heart aches for you and what you're walking through. Feel all those emotions, friend. Tell me how you never walked down the aisle expecting to divide your household items a few years later. Admit how you never had children to parent them part-time based on a court-ordered parenting plan. Share your disappointment, frustration, and anger. And while I empathize deeply with what you're facing, I also want to pour a healthy dose of encouragement into your hurting heart. You will survive your divorce and come out stronger. You will I know it in my bones. There will be days you don't want to get out of bed. 
days you feel like nothing is going right in your life, days the grief hangs heavy over your slumped shoulders, and also there will be days when you begin to see glimpses of yourself again, days you recognize how far you've come, days you celebrate the hope you began to feel, days when tears don't roll down your cheeks, and believe it or not, you catch yourself laughing again. I'm sorry these are the circumstances that introduced us, but it's an honor to be on this journey with you and to write a book that whispers hope into your heart once again. Brandy, those words just so caught my heart and uh, compelled me, really, to want to reach out to you. And because I know, regardless of what loss it is that we experience, there's this grieving process that happens. And so... I, I, first of all, I thought how brave you are to be willing to share. And I know it's been about six years since this part of your journey began. I wondered if you would just kind of share part of that with us. Yeah, I would love to. Um, I actually married my college sweetheart. Um, We had dated for a few years. He had felt a call to ministry. I felt that. Paul right alongside of him, and we first planted a church in Kentucky, um, right outside of Bowling Green, and then in 2000, moved to Nashville. Our first child was born in 2001, and in 2002, we planted, started a church in Nashville called Cross Point Church, which still exists and is going today. I think they just celebrated their anniversary, um, and in 2016, my husband of 20 years, he chose to walk away from the marriage and the ministry and the church and the family unit that we had created. Mm. Um, And life as I knew it ended overnight. And I I do think, Denise, we were both aware that when your life publicly falls apart, it's been falling apart behind the scenes for a while. Um, I still never expected the immense fallout and for my life to look so different in what felt like a few days' time. Life as I knew it, like I said, it ended, and I found myself starting over and really, honestly, just lost in what was next for me, lost in how I was going to lead my kids through trauma and tragedy, how I was going to take care of myself in the process of parenting them well, um, and just allowing God to really guide me and hear me where I was, to be there and to be present in that brokenness and that anger and that frustration, and also to be able to give me glimpses of hope um, for my future. So that was 16. My divorce was final in 2017, and, and it took me a while to get to this point of wanting to write about what it was like um, to start again, what God chose to do in me when I chose to begin again. But I felt like I needed a level of healing that I was writing out of my scars and not my words. And I wanted to be able to provide that validation um, through this resource of the book for people like me who were looking for something to help guide them and to give them a little bit of hope and healing as they were walking through probably one of the darkest seasons of their life. What were the beginnings of hope for you? I I know you mentioned journaling a lot. Yeah, I honestly think it it kind of coincided with journaling, but the practice of gratitude, I didn't necessarily recognize it as a gratitude practice when it started, but I remember um, a couple of weeks after my ex-husband resigned from the church, 
know. I, like I said, I was starting all over, and everything I knew ceased to exist. I was basically still mom to three sons, and that was it. Everything else was different. Um, so I remember having this moment one morning where I was just like, I believe God is still good. Nothing around me feels good. My life doesn't feel good. I My future at this point doesn't feel good. Man, I believe God is still good. So how can I find God's goodness around me? So I ended up pulling um, a journal I had received in like a promotional packet off of my shelf and took it orange Sharpie and wrote focus on the good on the front. Mm. And I made myself start every day writing down three to five good things in my life. Um, Because I believe if we're not looking for the goodness of God, we can miss it, especially when we're walking through seasons of darkness and trauma and tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, we want God's goodness, but our focus is, you know, because we're men, our focus is more on what we lack than what we actually have. So I started looking for God at work around me and in my life, and it became a total perspective shift for me to be able to recognize that, man, even though I was going through a lot of uncertainty and I had more questions that I had answers, that God was still good and he was still going to do good things in my life and in my future. And that really was a huge marker for me. I remember one day writing down, I got a new hair dryer. And while some people would debate (laughs) finding the goodness of God in a hair dryer, for me, it just represented there would be more new to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the reminders I needed when I was just trying to make it through one day at a time. Sometimes it's a combination of little things along the way that just kind of build up and help us to keep absolutely. looking up. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I agree with you. Those little things are of vital importance, and we need to keep our eyes focused upwards. I know that, uh, especially when you were talking about being a pastor's wife, and so many people, and you were involved in a uh, a ministry that was outside of your church walls as well, I got to think that the struggle with identity and what value do you bring, that, that must have been very real for you as well. Yeah, for sure. You know, the church, Cross Point, was a mega church. It was one of the fastest growing churches in the nation. It was one of the largest growing churches in the nation. Uh, and I loved being a pastor's wife there. I really loved being involved with the staff. I loved having that front row seat to world uh, to life change. I loved the impact we were making in Middle Tennessee as well as the rest of the world. So I really enjoyed what I felt like God had called me and created me to do. And when all of that was gone, it was a huge struggle of, you know, what is next for me and what does this mean? And I was involved in and still involved in an organization that you mentioned, Leading and Loving It. It is ran, was founded by one of my best friends, Lori Wilhite, and she and I um, quickly connected as pastor's wives of very large churches about 15 years ago, and this natural friendship was formed, and we just wondered how we could offer connection and empowerment and help women step into the God-planted purpose that God had in their heart, especially if they served in churches, were married to a pastor, or led in Christian nonprofit world. So we started this nonprofit and um, started moving forward in kind of taking the friendship that God had given us and creating atmospheres and environments where we could give that to other women. So we still exist today. We just had our conference last week um, in October, and we exist to help women in leadership thrive in 
life and ministry. And we, you know, at this point reached more than pastor's wives, but one of the things that was super pivotal to me is when all of those titles and roles that I had been filling for 20 years married to a pastor, when those were all gone, Lori was very, very fast to approach me and say, you know, titles and roles might be taken from you. You might not fill those positions anymore. However, no one can take the call of God on your life. But, and if you still want to be able to serve in ministry, I think he's going to be able to do that in your life. Mm. And that really gave me a lot of purpose. And I have been pretty vulnerable with the Leading and Loving It community from the point that I was no longer a pastor's wife seven years ago about what was going on in my life and what was kind of safe to share publicly. I've always, that community has been very near and dear to me. And I think that vulnerability during seasons of uncertainty has been great for our organization because it's a place that people can come when they don't have all the answers, that women can come and find support when they're trying to figure it out and they don't know what maybe exists for their future as far as roles and titles, but they still can chase after the call of God in their Mm -hmm. life. Amen. So you having been on both sides of church leadership as well as finding yourself in the position of being divorced could speak to leaders in particular, what are some of the things that need to be said, need to be encouraged with people? Because the thing is, a divorce is impacting almost equally, if not equally, the same between just being in the world and those who are attending churches. Yep. The stats are the same whether you're a Christian or not, um, the divorce stats are the same. So honestly, there was a point where I was like, oh, I don't want to write a book about my divorce. And then I started looking at at research and stats, and I'm like, well, there is an audience out there for it. That is for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, It's unfortunate, but it is definitely out there. I think one of the things that one of the big misconceptions that people struggle with as believers is that feeling of God hates divorce, so therefore he hates me. And I think that's a huge misconception. Yes, God hates divorce. He hates divorce because his children have been hurt in the course of that. But he doesn't hate us because we've walked through a divorce. And so many people sitting in those seats at church who are divorced feel less than. They feel like they've been sidelined because of divorce. They feel like they don't have what it takes to be able to serve at any level or to even show up. And and it's one of divorce is one of those things I think needs to be talked about from stage. I think every church in America does a relationship series and we talk about love and family and marriage and even relationships at work. I think it's important for us to also talk about what how divorce impacts believers' lives, how people are not sidelined. I think it's really important for that diversity to be represented on stage, if it can be. And I understand where it can also get a little sticky and messy, but I think people want to know that they are accepted, even though something in their life has happened that makes them feel like they're not worthy of Mm -hmm. maybe sitting in the pews on a Sunday morning or serving on the greeting team or helping lead worship and playing in the worship band. I think divorce is one of those things. And and I want you to know I'm also very quick when people come to me and say, I just don't feel comfortable at my church because I'm divorced. I'm also really quick to defend leaders and say, like, you know what, we 
end up leading out of what we know. And those leaders who are on stage and running the organizations and churches, they haven't often been through a divorce. So therefore, they don't know what you're experiencing or feeling when you sit in those pews. So I don't think it's done out of any of neglect. I just think we tend to live life out of what we know. So it is one of those things I think would be super beneficial for congregations to be able to hear, because if you're not a person sitting in the seats who are divorced, you have somebody in your life who has been, is going through, or will be going through a divorce in the future. The numbers are just too high for Mm -hmm. all of us to not have somebody we know who's impacted from divorce. So being able to represent that on stage not only speaks to those people who have walked through a divorce, it also shows those people who are the support systems to those walking through divorce how to best show up for them. So I I think it's twofold. I think it's one of those things often when you find out somebody's getting divorced, people just don't talk about it. They don't ask questions. They don't check in. And it's not because they don't care. It's because they don't know what to say. So let's just make it more normalized in the church. Loving probably is is the best way to say, how can we love well? Yes. Loving is a great way to put that. Those people who are divorced, the person who was supposed to love them the most is no longer in their life. So they are looking to be loved somewhere. Yeah. And is there a better place than the church mm-hmm. for them to feel that love and acceptance? Amen. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Over the Rims of Mugs, made possible by Iconic Sparkle. Get fun and fashionable accessories such as necklaces, earrings, and bracelets that can go with any outfit for any occasion for just $5. Owner Mandy Heinch desires to change the world through her accessories and what it allows her to offer. Fashion accessory advice, boosting confidence, and training those who want to start their own business. Learn more at IconicSparkle.com or on their app. So you are a boy mom. You have three sons. Tell me about your boys. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love being a boy mom, Denise. I'm so glad you asked. I have three sons. I used to say I had three teenagers, and now they're quickly leaving that land of teenage years. My oldest son is 22. My center son, that is the he prefers that over middle child. My center son um, is 19, and then my youngest is 17. So I have two in college, a senior and a freshman in college, and then a junior in high school. And all three of my kids play football. Um, my two older play D3 football, one in Alabama and one in Tennessee. And then um, my youngest is QB1 at our local high school. And I actually love being a boy mom, and I love being a football mom, and like to say, I'm classy until kickoff, and then something overtakes my body, and I end up being the crazy lady at the top of the stadium with a cowbell. Yes, at the 50-yard line, right? (laughs) Yes, I'm usually on the 45, so I'm right there, 50, yes. My son is 28 now. He played, uh, he was the center for his high school football team. And oh my gosh, so, then your son would be my favorite person on the team behind okay. my child since he stands in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. And I know exactly what you're talking about. There's just, it's just a wonderful thing. I love it through and through. And gosh, your, your, your guys are becoming men. <laughs> oh, yes. Too quickly. I'm like, I've said since they were small, like, how can I freeze them? I love yeah. every season of parenting. I kind of was dreading the middle school years because I'd been scared of middle school boys since I was a middle school girl. Um, And they just so 
started blossoming into themselves at that age mm. that I ended up even loving the middle school years. Oh, so. that's beautiful. What a gift. So it is a gift. Yes. Yeah, so how old were they uh, when when you started walking through this? Um, they would have been, you know, I think for them, things started getting bumpy when they were 9, 11, and 14. Mm. So it, with it being... When I say bumpy, that's when they started noticing things were really off at home. Yeah. Um, so by the time we got divorced, they would have been 11, 13, and 16. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they all turned right around the time of divorce. They hit that 11, 13, and 16. So I ended up having a driver. And the three of us, so mm-hmm. we or the four of us, mm-hmm. sold the house that we had lived in for 12 years. And I actually purchased a house that was new to me um, in a little community that was kind of halfway between the high school and and the middle school and ended up being a really great fresh start for us. Mm -hmm. I, I, lots of women um, end up keeping their home post-divorce and I didn't, I just felt like there were way too many ghosts in that house and I wanted a fresh start for the boys and I and, you know, through a really story that can only be called God at work at his best. We ended up securing this house and we've been there for the last seven years. And it's just been a really beautiful way for us to kind of redefine family without feeling like anything's missing um, and to create new memories for the four of us. What's the best way to help your children process all of this change? Honestly, I could talk about this forever. I love talking about how to parent your kids well when you're walking through trauma and tragedy. Mm -hmm. I think the first thing you have to do is take care of yourself. Lots of time we end up pouring all of our energy into our kids. And if we aren't dealing with our own emotional health and our own mental health, then we are not doing the best to take care of ourselves, which directly impacts them. I had a therapist say to me early on, your child's resiliency is directly impacted by the parent's ability to own their story, understand their story, and communicate their story. So I really quickly realized, and for my own future, wanted to deal with the hurt in my heart. I wanted to deal with the unhealthy patterns. I wanted to heal with any ways I'd enabled bad behavior. Mm. I wanted to deal with the miscommunication that I had allowed and been part of. I just felt like if I'm going to be in a relationship again in the future, I'm not going to do it the way I did in the past. Mm -hmm. So being able to kind of, you know, dig in and do a lot of therapy and inner work and self-awareness and deal with like family of origin stuff and um, ways that I had carried that into my marriage for me to be able to spend that time investing in myself directly impacted my kids. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I felt strongly about is just communicating about that. And when I say communicating, I don't mean I'm downloading everything I obviously learned in counseling with my kids, but to be able to talk about counseling and therapy of where it is a normal, regular part of life and to talk about the need that I had to have a third party in my life to help me process some things. I think that's really important for our kids to know. I think lots of times we end up Because we love our children so much, we teach them how to avoid loss rather than to manage loss. And it's really important for us as parents to teach them how to manage loss because loss is just part of the the life that is going to happen as we walk through our world, Um, whether it's loss of a job or if it's loss of a relationship or maybe it's loss of a family pet or a grandparent. 
Mm -hmm. Um, Loss is something they're going to experience. So we're actually parenting our kids well when we teach them how to manage that loss rather than avoid it. Because that way, when they experience it on their own and they're not living under your roof, they have the skills and the tools to be able to walk through that in a healthier way. And I started talking to my kids about everything before we bought a house. I remember having a conversation at dinner one night of, hey, I really, I have been praying about the fact that I would like to sell this house. And there are a couple of reasons why I want to sell this house. And and I unpacked those in a really honest and also respectable way for my kids to be able to hear at their ages. And then I said, I want to buy a new house and I'm not sure what we're going to you know, be able to afford and what that new house is going to look like. My guess is we can afford either a four-bedroom or a three-bedroom and a bonus room. Let's talk about the benefits, the pros and cons of each. Mm. And it just kind of brought them into that journey of like, okay, we are going to have to make some decisions and let's be able to talk through those decisions. I've been super honest and talking to my kids about good days and bad days. I want emotions to be something that they're comfortable with. So um, I have, you know, one kid who is especially emotionally intuitive. And I don't know that that's something that was necessarily celebrated as he was younger, but both of my other sons see that as one of his strengths now. And I think it's helped all of us to become more aware of our home is a safe place for you to feel your emotion. You can show up here. And it was so interesting. About a year ago, one of my kids came in and I'm going to say came in hot. Um, (laughs) He came in at a 10. He had had a, a, not a bad day. He'd had a very interesting day at school. He wanted to unpack it and, Mm -hmm. and he didn't settle in. He like flung the door open and man, he started like, this is what happened. And this happened and da, da, da. And, and I am actually kind of you know, I've finished my work day. I'm cooking dinner. I'm starting to whine backwards a little bit. Um, And he comes in just very, very full of lots of words and emotion. And he like vomits it all out for about 10 minutes. And then he heads upstairs to take a shower. And my girlfriend who was sitting there at the table having conversation with me, she just said, well, you have created an environment where your kids can fully show up and what is going on in their life. And I see that as a compliment. You know, he came in and he felt safe to unpack everything that was going on in his day and to give lots of details about it. And um, I knew he kind of just needed to get it out. So I think giving them the ability to show up emotionally, to be able to say what they need to say. And then for us, our house is a house of truth. And I was really clear on that when we moved in, that we had lived through a lot of deception and manipulation and lies. And that wasn't the life we lived anymore. So this is a house of truth. And if you tell me the truth, we can figure it out. If you can't, if you're not telling me the truth, I can't really help you. I can only work in the truth. So that has been something that has definitely set the tone for what is and isn't allowed in our home and how we function as a unit, a family of four, is that we are going to show up and we're going to tell the truth, Hmm. um, even when that's hard to do. Yeah. So those are several ways that I think parenting kids through, you know, seasons of trauma and tragedy, you can show up. Um, in the healthiest way for them so that they see that model in order to show up for themselves in the future. Exactly, which is part of our responsibility and seeing real life and them knowing, watching you and then being free to be able to express what they're feeling, work through those feelings. I mean, that's setting them up for 
great opportunities, good relationships, strong relationships in the future. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about the idea that you never thought necessarily, or maybe a long ways from now, that you would be living in singleness. And so you go from yeah. always, you know, having somebody with you, and now, now you're living a single life, even though you have your kiddos. How do you manage the loneliness that comes, I mean, like a rush, I'm sure? Yes. Yes. I Loneliness is definitely something that comes like a rush. I think one of the things I initially had to notice is that I was actually lonely in my marriage as well. And that took a lot to admit, and that took a lot of work and therapy for me yeah. to be able to admit that even though I was married, I was actually very lonely. And I think as I've continued to, you know, live life as a single woman, what I've started to recognize is that loneliness is occurring in a lot of people's lives around us. It is It happens in people who are married. It happens in people who have roommates. Like, we can be surrounded by people and still feel lonely. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that I really tried to dig in was to get to know myself again. I I am kind of wired so that I'm a great caretaker, support person. It's one reason I love being a wife. It's one reason I really love and adore being a mom is that's kind of my sweet spot. And, you know, your greatest strength is also Mm -hmm. your greatest weakness. And what happens is in being a really great wife and a great mom, I honestly lost myself. I tend to self-abandon and I end up knowing absolutely everything about my kids and my best friends. And I didn't know myself well. So I really had to start digging into how do I want to spend my time? And and the weekends were especially hard. The weekends where I mm. didn't have my kids. Yeah, Everybody would look forward to the weekend. And I'm like, no, I don't want to get to Friday night oh. because it's quiet and it's lonely. And it's, and I would feel a lot of that time with, you know, yoga or meeting a friend for coffee or let's go see a movie. And in order to get to know myself again, I really had to spend some time alone just digging into myself. Journaling was super important for me when it came to dealing with loneliness and getting to know myself again. I think when we're alone and we're feeling lonely, we often hear a lot of negative things in our head. You know, nobody wants to love you or you're going to be alone forever. And and for me, I had to learn how to combat those voices in my head and really lean into you know, whose voice is that I'm hearing and identify that and then, you know, stop thinking, pray, stop that voice in my head, think where is it coming from and then pray that God will replace the voice I'm hearing with his voice in my head. And and I even, you know, stuck little post-it notes in several different places in my home of whose voice do you hear? Mm. Let it be God yeah. to remind me that, you know, I am loved and I do have things I could be doing on a Friday night. And it's also okay for me to spend some time with myself and get comfortable in my own skin. And I think being able to just get to know myself again created this freedom that I didn't even realize I needed to experience, but this freedom to just be who God uniquely created me to be and, you know, taking care of all the people around me really well. I was neglecting what God had actually planted for me to pursue in my heart. So how can I chase after that? And, and you know, the book is honestly part of being able to chase after what God has planted in my heart to do and provide that support for people who are also hurting. So yeah. the loneliness is really tough. And I also think there's healing in the lonely if we give ourselves the time to sit in it, 
mm-hmm. and actually experience what God wants us to learn in it. So good. You went through, I'm sure, much grief. Really, divorce yeah. is, is a death and a death mm-hmm. of, of your dreams. Grief impacts everyone differently. Uh, layers, triggers. Yeah. Do you still ever have moments where something triggers or do you feel like you finally crossed out of that? I think I definitely have seasons or situations where I feel triggered. You know, dating is definitely one of those situations, <laughs> just to be honest. Yeah. That's something that has to be navigated and figured yeah. out. And I'm willing to figure it out. And I think there is a point where I have done a lot of healing on my own. And there's some healing that also won't happen until I'm in relationship again. Mm. And I, you know, I also feel very ready for relationship again. I'm to the point where I would love to live life you know, with a partner. But yeah, I think there are definitely those triggers. I think they get further and further, you know, the occurrences of them are further and further apart, which is nice. And I also think you have to get curious about why you're, why you are triggered. I got really, I write in the book about getting really triggered during the pandemic. And honestly, just being mad that we were having to isolate and And finally, I had a dear friend who I was, you know, hanging out with. She was in my small circle of people I saw. And she said, the last time you were this isolated is when you were walking through your divorce. Uh, And I think you have to recognize that the isolation mm. that you were put in during that scenario was done to hurt you. And the isolation that's happening now is to protect you and your family. So I think getting curious and digging in of why am I being triggered, what is causing it, how am I experiencing it in my body, to be aware of all of that kind of stuff is super important to be able to lean in and figure out, like to be curious about yourself and identify why you're being triggered. And when you can get curious about yourself and kind of break it down to the nitty gritty truth of what's really going on, it does help you have more power over that the next time it happens mm-hmm. in your life. Yeah. If you could go back and talk to your younger you, what advice or what would you tell yourself? How young are we talking, Denise? <laughs> <laughs> how, how far back do you want to go, Brandy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or do we need to go? Are we talking about last week or are we talking about high school? <laughs> I hear you, girl. <laughs> if you had the oh, opportunity to, to sit down with yourself over a cup of coffee and just speak some life and some wisdom into uh, what you know now, what would you say? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think um, I would say one day at a time. I think when we walk through tough, dark seasons in our life, part of the reason we get so overwhelmed and overburdened and overcome is because we jump ahead into the future of, you know, I don't know what six weeks is going to look like, and I don't know what six months is going to look like, and I don't know what six years is going to look like. Hmm. And I tend to be a planner, and I kind of like to have a little bit of a skeleton plan of what I want for my future. But in the not knowing, we end up almost paralyzing ourselves because we get overwhelmed. And I think it is really important. I had to become very specific with myself. And Brandy, you are making it through today. It is one day at a time. And I've actually just had a season of life over the past six months where I ended up going back to that reality of Brandy. 
This is one day at a time. Mm. I think it's really important for us to have purpose and chase our purpose and to, you know, know what God's called us to do. And we have to be able to surrender what is going on in our lives and how we're handling it to Him. Because there are times I truly, Denise, will tell you, I know that God's plan for my life is best. I know that He has surprises of goodness in store for me that I could never imagine. I have no doubt in the timeline He has um, for my future. And I still want to control it. (laughs) I still want to take it back and tell Him how I think it should turn out. So I've been in this huge time of learning and still learning to surrender. And what does surrender look like? And how do I, you know, give that control back over to him when I feel like I've handed it over yesterday and I'm picking it back up today? So I think just that reminder of it is one day at a time. We don't know what the future, we don't have to know what the future is going to look like. We don't have to know how we're going to get there. We just have to surrender the control that we want to pick up to him. So good. I don't think we ever outgrow that process, honestly, at least. I don't see myself. I wish I could say that I would totally let go of the reins <laughs> and totally yeah, trust, same. walk blindly in what God is you know, leading me in. But I want to pick up the schedule and the uh, expectations and what my future is going to look like. It, it seems like a never-ending cycle. I agree. It seems like a never-ending cycle is correct. <laughs> so your advice I to take... I am still learning that for sure. Yeah. Taking one day at a time, that is such good advice. Thank you. Thank you. So your book is called Better Than Okay, and I, I love that because we have been through, it feels like a season of, it's okay to not be okay, or I'm okay. I, I'm okay. But I love yeah. your title of Better Than Okay, because I think feel like that goes right back to Jesus saying, I have come that you might have life, life abundant. And uh, so to me, it feels like not just the plain vanilla day after day after day, you know, kind of life that Jesus came that we could have just extraordinary moments in our days. And so I love the title because it just really to me, it feels like it's got that fragrance of it's more than okay. I'm more than okay. Yeah. The title was kind of accidental in the fact of I talked to so many women um, through, you know, just being in leadership and then my coaching clients who are walking through divorce or walking through separation. And I started to recognize the number one question they would ask me was, am I going to be okay? Mm. Um, and I found myself responding to them and saying, you're going to be better than okay. Like we can get there. It does not feel like it today, but you are going to be better than okay. Mm. And I think we almost need that reassurance when we're at that point of hopelessness of I'm going to make it and I'm not just going to survive. I'm going to thrive Mm -hmm. because I know that I'm leaning on God and allowing him to guide me through it. Amen. Amen. So much hope, Brandy. I appreciate that about you and about your story. Thank you. Yeah. So if you had one more moment to express hope to the lady that's listening on the other side of this podcast who is feeling in that position, what would you say? 
I would tell her to take some time investing in herself. And we say that all the time. I think there is a difference between self-care and maintenance. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, getting your nails done and your hair done is all great, and it's maintenance. So Mm -hmm. what can you do to invest in yourself and really get to know yourself and love yourself again? I think the relationship we have with ourselves impacts every other relationship we have in our life. So spend some time really getting to know yourself again. Hire a therapist, hire a coach, do the hard work of self-awareness and healing. And you're not doing that alone. You're doing that. God is walking with you every step of the way. He partners with us in that healing. And I would encourage that person to take it all to God. I think You know, we talk a lot, you hear a lot about attachment theory and bonding science when it comes to relationships. And and one of the gifts of really and truly leaning on God that I discovered when I felt hopeless and I was mad and angry and doubting and asking him why didn't he realize I had served him really well for a long time, um, is that he continued to stay and show up and, and created this secure attachment that I really and truly hadn't experienced to that point in my life. And um, I knew that in having that attachment with him, that he was going to continue to show up and make me not just physically stronger, but emotionally stronger and mentally stronger and spiritually stronger as I figured out what life was going to look like for me in the future. So I think that that investing in yourself and, and doing what feeds you and um, gives you life and let you get back to knowing yourself again is really vital when it comes to you having hope for your future. Hey, thank you, Brandy, for the time. Thank you for more than that, taking the courageous step forward to share the hard parts of your story and the journey that you've been on that God has walked with you through to uh, to find hope and to encourage others in that process as well. So thank you for that. Thank you, Denise. I've so enjoyed this conversation with you. Thanks to my guest today, Brandy Wilson, for sharing her story. And thank you to you for listening to this episode of Over the Rims of Mugs. If you'd like to share a comment, maybe you have a question, you can email us, podcast at wearethebridge.org. And I co-host the morning show on The Bridge every weekday morning. I'd love to have you join me there or through our Bridge app. And you're also welcome to catch up with me for a daily devotion on my blog that's entitled Treasured Inside. You can find it directly at deniseharper.blog or links to all of these are at wearethebridge.org. Thanks again for joining me here. We were never meant to journey alone. Whether you're having a great day or a hard one, we need each other to celebrate and to stand in the gap. Sharing our stories helps remind us that we are not alone. And when we sit with women who sit at the feet of Jesus, the conversations are different. We walk away feeling inspired, not inferior, because we know this Christian walk is a race, but not a competition. I'm your host, Denise Harper, encouraging you to catch up with a friend or make a new one and enjoy some good conversation over the rims of mugs.